Welcome back to Legends Library from the Star Wars Book Community Podcast. Thanks for listening. I'm Johnny Maynard, your host for today, but as ever, I'm not alone. I, I'm joined again uh, to discuss the the back end of the Night Errant comic series um, with the one and only mighty Bookstagrammaticus himself. It's Alex Taylor. Hiya, Alex. Hey, thanks so much for having me back. I'm looking forward to this one. Yeah, me too. Th- thanks for coming back, Alex. And um, we had hoped to be joined by, by Jesse, but he had a family emergency to, to, to contend with at the last minute. So um, all of our good wishes going out to our, our brother in the force, Jesse. Um, so yeah, we, we were talking today, Alex, about uh, the last two volumes here of um, of, of the Night Errant miniseries. Um, I guess not the Night Errant comic series. Yeah, it was ongoing, I think, until it wasn't. Yeah, indeed. Well, sort of intermittently ongoing, as I, as I realized as I dived into Wikipedia, um, sort of to, to get my head around the publication sort of timeline. Mm-hmm. Um, so so let, let's dive into that and give the folks listening a little bit of context for the discussion. We're talking about the second and third volumes of the Night Errant comic series, subtitled Deluge and Escape, respectively. Uh, volume 2, Deluge, began dropping its as single issues in August 2011, so about six months after the last issue of Volume 1. So there was a hiatus. There's like a six-month hiatus between the Volume 1 issues finishing and, and the Volume 2 issues dropping. Right. Um, those are the... It came in a, that first issue coming in August two thousand and eleven. Came only one month after the trade paperback of Volume One came out. So I guess that was the pattern. They'd get mm-hmm. the first five issues out, wait a few months, drop the trade paperback, and then the next month they would start the next volume of single issues. Right, and then there was also, and, of course, the novel stuck in there in the, in between. Um, I think while the the first five issues were uh were in circulation i, I think yeah absolutely right. so that, i think the novel dropped either in the december or the january of that first comic run which kind of went october january february ish yeah. I, I think it was like january that. but yeah yeah, yeah. W- whatever it was we had it right in the intro to last to the last episodes <laughs> well, listen to that one folks you know, hey, you know, we're middle-aged men. You can't expect us to remember things from two no, weeks ago. Definitely this not. This is just, you know, we, we we are both at this stage overriding old data. If you ask us to remember something new, something's going to go. Yes, know? yes. Uh, particularly with, in this case, a comic book series that I read um, back when it came out, which was a number of years ago now. Yeah. <laughs> well, I don't have that excuse quite because I I, yeah. I only really caught up with this one eventually last year. Mm-hmm. But Volume 3, Escape, mm-hmm. uh, began dropping a single issues in June 2012, running for five mm-hmm. issues until October 2012, it, notably the month that the sale of Lucasfilm to Disney was announced. Right. Uh-huh. And whether or not that has anything to do with there not being any more. Um, I, I, as was the case with the Old Republic tie-ins, and the tie-ins that come under that the Old Republic banner, and Dawn of the Jedi, and Dawn of the Jedi, all, all stuff we've covered in the past, all sort of yeah. just came to an end uh, mm-hmm. around, around that time. Yeah. Um, all three volumes of the Night Errant comic series are, are now available, collected under the Legends banner in, in the Marvel Epic Collection, The Old Republic Volume 5, and that was released in March 2023, so a little 
mm-hmm. under a year ago as we record this episode now. Still in print. Still in print, and you know, I have no doubt that it'll that it will be collected again in in sort of a, a an omnibus. Um, they've yeah. been slowly, Marvel have been slowly getting through the old Republic material in the omnibus format as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and I guess Night Errant plus maybe the Jedi versus Sith comic is maybe all that's left there. That I can't would make where they sense. Are. I think, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Marvel since their reacquisition of the Star Wars license. Uh, has not always done a great job of keeping these things in print. You kind of have to jump on them, but they have done a magnificent yeah. job of, of bringing them back into print. So if yeah. you stay on top of it, you can definitely get what you want, what you're missing. It's It's been really, really great. Yeah, yeah. There are some of those epic collections and omnibuses that prove very, very popular and very quickly sell out. And yeah. that's then when you're back in the situation of it's now off the market again because they haven't right. done a rerun. They haven't done a reprint of that particular volume. Yeah, um, it, it's all available digitally if that's your bag. Personally, I I struggle with that as a format, but I know Same. others find it really helpful. Yeah, I just you know yeah, I I look at screens for work. I don't need to spend more time looking at screens. Oh, same. I'm staring helping. at a screen all day every day doing typesetting, and it's it's yeah, it's tiring. <laughs> like I don't yeah. I don't want I don't want brightness in my face anymore. I feel you. I feel you. Um, well, I, I do use it to fill in gaps. You know, when when there's one of those series that I missed the first time around, or that you know I I don't have in in print, um, it's handy. Yeah, yeah, indeed. And of course, certainly for those things that are maybe harder to find or or haven't reached the Marvel reprinting stage of of of, of the the venture yet. Uh, so, so of course, the writer here is once again the great John Jackson Miller, uh, keeping a steady hand on the wheel while the art duties rotate between a few, a few different folk. Uh, on volume two, we've got uh, Ivan Rodriguez on board for one issue, then uh, Eben Coelho takes on three issues, and then David Daza rounds out volume two. Volume three, there's a bit more consistency. We've got Marco Castillo stepping in for the whole volume with some assistance from uh, Andrea Cella. Um, Timeline-wise, we are still in 1032 BBY, a millennium before the events of The Phantom Menace, and a few decades from the rise of Darth Bane and in the establishment of the Rule of Two. Uh, story-wise, in Volume 2, Deluge, we find Jedi Knight Kira Holt returning to her homeworld of Aquilaris, thinking that she's going to stage a daring rescue of her people. Uh, what she instead finds is a populace not only subjugated by Sith Lord Daemon, or Daemon. I'm going to keep doing that. I'm going to keep getting it wrong. <laughs> um, so yeah, the the the, the populace are, are are subjugated by by Lord Damon uh, and on and under attack by storm creating super weapons of ruthless hut gangster Zodo uh, or Zodo, quite a character. Yeah, um, as if that wasn't enough, these people are hopelessly addicted to deluge, uh, a potent form of spice. Um, but hope arrives. Or does it in the form of Captain Jen Davad and Devil Squadron, a group of fighter pilots and craft from Grace Command, a mercy organization from Alderaan on their own mission in Sith space? So, headline thoughts, Alex, on on, uh, Deluge, the second volume of the Night Errant comic series. Just sort of initial reaction. Um, Overall, uh, I think right from the start, I... um... I liked the various elements of this more than volume one. 
No, I, um, mm-hmm. I, I found a lot to love in, uh, in volume one. Uh, like I said, last episode, the, um, the art in the first couple of issues put me off at first. It, it got mm-hmm. a little more consistent here. Um, despite having, as you pointed out, so many different artists, there were yeah. three different pencilers working on, on only five issues here. Um, but their their styles, I think, blended a little more harmoniously together. Yeah, I have to say, I, I didn't really notice the change much. And I'm, I'm, reading it, I'm reading it in the Dark Horse paperback, which mm-hmm. doesn't give you the issue breaks. You know, the, the, right. the, the Marvel way in more recent years is you know, in the trade paperbacks, you do get the, the issue break and a bit of cover art or something like that. I honestly, you know, apart from the sort of the conventions of um, an issue might end with a big one page panel and you might find the next page then starts with a new scene and some narration boxes that are kind of more scene setting. Those are kind of your only markers really sometimes in those paperbacks as Mm -hmm. to when one ends and a new one begins. And I have to say, I didn't notice big changes in the art from one bit to the next. No, no, it's, it's definitely, it feels more consistent mm-hmm. than uh, Volume One, A Flame, did. Um, I, I think the only the only exception to that, the only real standout, is um, the portrayal of Jode yeah. from one issue to the next. And I'm sure we'll talk more about his character later on. Uh, but he goes from looking anywhere between about thirty and about sixty. Yeah. Um, and I, I don't know whether that's a conscious attempt to, to show, you know, the effects of the, the ravages of the mm-hmm. spice that he's been addicted to, that he's just kind of lived hard um, and it's taken a lot out of him or, or, or what, but um, yeah, he, he definitely does not always look like uh, what is there yeah. five years difference between him and Kara. I think he was 13 when she was eight. Yeah. Um, and it, yeah. it, it, it does not always look that way. Um, but, but that aside, um, I think the art overall is, is strong. Um, in this arc, uh, I like um, the kind of rock and a hard place bind that that is set up here with the 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 Sith, and then the introduction of of Zodo, who's this this very um, I mean from from the moment of his introduction, this hut in the mm-hmm. cockpit of a giant starfighter. Um, it's this very gonzo image it's really it's really crazy um and that that moment kind of uh, reminded me of um the moment in uh a few seasons into game of thrones uh where the the uh the wildlings are attacking the wall and john snow calls out there mm-hmm. are giants yeah. riding on mammoths down there it's it's <laughs> that kind of that kind of energy um, it's just this is there's a there's a hut coming in with this crazy um, armor contraption yeah. with with a rocket pack on it and he's flying a huge starfighter. That's a that's a new threat and and then the, you know the the Sith that we already know about and then the uh, the deluge the this this spice that uh, the, the people are addicted to. So it's there are a lot of challenges all at once all hitting Kara and she has to navigate these. So yeah. Um, I, I like the um, I like the visuals of these new locations, um, the uh, mm-hmm. uh, the architecture on Aquilaris has a very kind of Cold War brutalist sort of feel. It's it does, doesn't it? Yeah, it's a lot more low tech and like twentieth yeah. century feeling. The same thing goes for their uh, their submersibles. You know, they yeah. they really just look like 
submarines. You did um, look like U-boats. I mean, I, 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 as yeah. you said that about the architecture, I was immediately thinking of that sort of area where the submersibles are docked and the sort of warehouse-type structures in the background. Mm-hmm. It, it, it could be a scene from Das Boot. You know? Yes. <laughs> it, it's, it's very throwback. You know, it's, it's very mm-hmm. World War II, but it's a little bit brutalist. Yeah. Um, so it's a... Yeah, it's, it's leaning into... Uh, yet another kind of dystopian imagery. We, mm. We've seen that before in the series, and um, that's you know continuing here with a different flavor, a different kind of spin. Um, so yeah, it's very it's it grabbed me right from the beginning. Um, I like it. Yeah. What about you? Yeah, I, I did. You know, I I I got the real sense that we we'd now had not only a one volume of the comic, but also a novel that had done a whole ton of world building for us, mm-hmm. and sort of and, and and set up this whole um, scenario with the, the sort of the warring scions of the Sith family uh, mm-hmm. and all of that stuff. And it was time to, on the one hand, just let Kara get on with having an adventure in this world that had been mm-hmm. set up without really having to worry too much about any more exposition um right right and secondly then throwing in this new threat to mix it up again you know that's as i think we, we mentioned last time you know the novel is very episodic yes. you know it's sort of she goes to a new place it's sister of the week dealt with mm-hmm. move on you know intentionally yeah. so but you know i guess there could have been a danger that it sort of just keeps wash rinsing repeating right um and it, it feels like a conscious effort with, you know, sort of Zodo, the hut coming in here, kind of as a disruptive force, yeah. you know, he's, he's got his eye on Damon's territory mm-hmm. here, you know, um, and he's muscle, literally muscling in <laughs> on the action. I see what you did there. <laughs> yeah. He's, um, yeah, he's a big fella, isn't he? He is. He is a, he is a big boy. Um, yeah. It's, uh, it's interesting. He, mm-hmm. he points out a little later in the series, uh, that all I, I can't remember the line exactly, but uh, all huts uh, just want to want to fulfill their desires. You know, huts just want to have fun, you might say. Mm. And his desire just happens to be <laughs> violence. Um, so he's he yeah, he's he, he points out his similarity, his likeness to other huts while at the same time distinguishing himself like he has this this particular uh, itch that he wants to scratch. And so he has found a way to do it. You know, he's bulked mm-hmm. himself up with this, this crazy contraption that lets him fly around and, you know, spends a lot of time in the yeah. hut gym, whatever that looks like. He really <laughs> does. Let, let, yeah. Let, 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 let's move on to talk about some of the new characters then. And let, let's start with Zodo mm-hmm. since we're there. I mean, this guy is, as you said, physically imposing in a way that it's certainly in, in chronological mm-hmm. terms, whether or not we'd seen sort of beefcake cuts elsewhere in Legends, I'm not sure. But in chronological terms, in sort of as, as we've been going through things on Legends Library, I don't think we've seen right. anything like this. I know in canon-wise, we've seen a few things like this there in, in was, more recent years. I'm trying to remember. Oh, I wish Jesse was here because he would remember it right off. There was a uh, there was a, a hut uh, that L- Leia ended up in a lightsaber duel with in one of the 90s uh, novels. Oh, wow. Um, ah, okay. Yes. And I can remember there being an illustration 
of of that scene in I think the original uh, mm-hmm. Star Wars chronology, uh, the one that came out around ninety nine. Um, okay. So yes, there was a there was a strong warrior hut. Um, can't remember yeah. his name. I'm sure a bunch of our listeners are, are mm-hmm. shouting out uh, yeah. his name. You know, as they in, in the meantime, we'll just call him Chad. Chad the yes. Hut. Chad the Hut. <laughs> I mean, in canon, in canon in recent years, we, we've had things like Gracchus the Hut, who popped up in the Marvel right. Star Wars, you know, right, with his little his little centipede leg, robotic leggy type things. Yeah. But he's very, you know, he's he's, he's benching, you know, his upper mm-hmm. body strength is pretty good. Well, and then there was there was one in the um, early on in the the first wave of um, you think the High Republic? Yes, the High Republic. Yes, in the comics. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, you're right. Um, you've got sort of that. The, the, there's an issue that introduces that mm-hmm. character where you've got Jedi mounted on rancors fighting alongside this beefcake hut on their little hover yes. sled thing. And you know, we've seen the hover sled hut thing going all the way back to Dark Empire, I That's think, right. maybe before, <laughs> yeah. but not really in that sort of very, you know getting into the thick of act, leading people into a battle mm-hmm. um, with armor and everything. But the, this guy, Zodo, you know, he's, he sits there on his throne, sitting upright, not slouched. He sits upright. Yes. Um, uh, almost as a human might, mm-hmm. um, with spiked armor on the shoulders and a breastplate. And you know, he carries a battle axe in one hand. As you said, he, yeah. he flies his own fighter craft, you know. Um, yeah, it's, it's definitely a kind of Conan the Barbarian sort of, sort of vibe. Yeah. But yeah, I, I love this moment where um, Zodo summons the other Sith Lords, other than Damon, whose territory he's invading, to a hollow meeting, basically. And he's basically like, look, and he calls them like little villains, you know, yeah. I'm here, I'm taking Damon's lands and territories, you know, it, you can have a piece of the action. Yeah. Um, you know, but you've got to play ball. And if you don't, well, just watch what I'm about to do to your to your man Damon here. Um, <laughs> and, and then sort of dismisses them. I mean, he's, he's pretty ballsy for a guy who's just walked in the back door. He is. Yeah. A, a very memorable character. Definitely. Yeah, he's a, he's a formidable villain. Mm. Um, well, what about other new characters? Is there anybody else who really stood out for you, Alex? Well, um, among the people on Aquilaris, uh, we get Paget and Jode. Um, mm-hmm. Those are those are nice uh, personalizations of the the local uh, character and the local problems. You know, we see mm-hmm. the despair that is setting in here. Um, you know, Paget has basically given up. Um, Jode has really given up because of the yeah. uh, the influence of the, uh, the the drug that he's on, the deluge. You know, of course, Jode also has this uh, personal history going all the way back to Kara's childhood um, with with her. Um, and uh, he um, he really, you know, he puts a face on the suffering of this of this place because you see um, it. Things are bad here, but that that makes it um, makes it personal. Um, yeah. I think that's that's done very effectively. Yeah, yeah, and I, I think we as we as we talked about last time, Alex. You know, again, John Jackson Miller telling these stories at a very human, intimate level. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, th- through relatable characters. You know, yeah. th- there's big stuff going on here, but you learn about it through people. 
you know, mm-hmm. and through people that he quickly makes you care about. Um, Absolutely. We, we, which is always great. Um, I, I was intrigued by this um, character, but by Captain Jen David. Seriously? Uh, uh, yeah. yeah. You know, the, the sort of um, dashing uh, fighter pilot uh, mm-hmm. who sort of comes to the rescue early on in the story. And um, then uh, as the plot evolves, you know, we realize that maybe she's isn't all she's cracked up to be and then maybe isn't quite on the same path as Kara after all. Right. What did you make of her? Well, I was immediately intrigued by the introduction of her organization, uh, Grace mm. Command. Uh, it's a, uh, described as a mercy organization mm. out of Alderaan. What does that immediately make you think of? Well, let's, uh, we're on a mercy mission. Yes. Um, yes. Darth mm-hmm. Vader, don't act so surprised, your highness. You weren't on any mercy mission this time. So going mm. all the way back to the beginning of, of Star yeah. Wars, you've got this, oh, from, from Alderaan. That's an interesting connection. So yeah. you, I mean, it's it basically... The, the space word for humanitarian, I guess. Right, right. Um, and it's it's just it's interesting to see here this kind of hint that oh maybe Alderaan has been at this for a long time. Like this is something this is deeply a part of their culture is yeah. humanitarian aid, um, which is a nice touch. But then within you know serving at the behest of Grace Command, what is her squadron called? <laughs> Devil Squadron. Yeah, yeah. That's a little. <laughs> That's a little interesting, isn't it? I wonder wonder what's going on there. And of course, as we see as the series developed, there there is something there. Um they uh I think it's issue three, halfway through, um, you find out that they are indeed doing something rather devilish. Mm-hmm. They are they are seeding, distributing uh this deluge this uh highly addictive spice that just saps the will to live from people um throughout this region but but of course in fine john jackson miller style there is a twist they believe that they are doing the right thing they believe that this is the best that they can do in a bad situation um so that's really it's it's compelling it's strong writing uh because you know jen uh is is up is up to no good but she doesn't see it that way yeah um and then of course by the end she she turns around um so that's yeah i i really i like her character arc um i don't feel totally convinced by the way that she turns around Mm -hmm. and how quickly um how quickly Kara starts treating her differently. Yeah. Like it's, it's as if the bad that she has done is just swept away without so much as an apology. Like mm-hmm. it's, it's just like, okay, well you're good. Now you're going to do the right thing. You're you know going to stop distributing drugs to the community. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And that, that feels like, feels like it could have used a little more time. Yeah. Um, but I, that's that's a quibble. Yeah, I mean, I, I think her Jen's sort of turnaround feels quick because I think from John Jackson Miller is kind of holding back the reveal that she, she's she's got this contingency mm. plan to double cross Zodo with these bombs hidden in these containers with the time locks, which 
which was so fun because that is a you know it's like the uh, the adage about um if there's a loaded gun uh, on this on the set in the first act, it had better go off by the third or something like that. Um, yeah, yeah. Ch- it's Chekhov's gun. Is that is, yeah? Yes, that is. Yeah, there you go. There you go. Uh, that idea, that concept of of loading these these food container boxes with explosives, is brought up by Kara mm. in I think issue yeah. one or two. I think it's issue one. Um, and uh, and then of course it it. It goes bang yeah. by the end. Yeah, um, so that's that's a that's a fun little bit there. Absolutely, and I, I, I guess, yeah, for, for for me, I kind of forgave her turn feeling quick because he was going for the surprise reveal of, haha, I've got a bomb anyway. Um, you know, what I, um, and we get a little bit more sort of exposition from her after the fact about how you know mm. I kind of knew on my way there that I couldn't trust him, so I had this contingency, and you know, these sort of the, the gaps are sort of filled in retrospectively in in a way. Um, yeah, no, I, I totally take yes. that point. Like you don't see her coming to that point; you kind of learn about it after the fact, mm-hmm. really. Um, yeah, I, and I, I guess. Maybe it was just a comic space and time issue that we've got to wrap this story up, and we don't, you know, in terms of the reconciliation between Kara and her, you know, there's just only so many panels, um, uh, you know. Right. How, however many years ago, five somebody decided that five issues. It used to be more like six. Mm. That was more common, but five issues is pretty standard for a miniseries. Yeah. And, and that's how much space you've got. Yeah. You know, multiply that by twenty-four pages, and you know, there's there's your story. Um, so yeah, he 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 was juggling a lot of elements. He had a lot to fit in. Yeah. Um, and I, I think I think the overall arc is is good. My my only quibble is just with the um, with the turnaround there. The yeah. execution is yeah. And it feels I a little that. a little rushed. Yeah. Um, but the arc is the arc is solid. Um, what what do you think about the uh, the the fighters uh, that they're flying? Yeah, the, the I I love that design. Um, so it, it kind of looks like um, oh, they're, what are they called? Fire Lotus fighters is, is the name that they're given. Mm-hmm. It looks to me like sort of the fuselage of an X wing or something like yes, this. I with agree. these sort of almost like. S- six pairs of foils that kind of curve and almost but don't quite meet that if you were to look at it sort of front on or rear on would look almost like a flower right which the the lotus connection in the name makes sense yeah um which uh you know immediately it's like it's impossible to hear the word lotus without thinking of um well there's a couple of connections one i always think of padme why is that uh, it doesn't Padme mean Lotus? What am I forgetting? Oh, I think you're right. Oh, that's I'm sure I've it. read that and somewhere. <laughs> Maybe I, wrong. I think you might. I think you might be right. Yeah. Um, well, I w- so I was just thinking of the the Buddhist connection. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, as a, lo- lo- the Lotus as a symbol of of enlightenment. Yeah. Um, but then there's also we talked a little bit about the Odyssey. Uh, by Homer mm. last time, the uh, are, I know you haven't you haven't read the Odyssey, but are, are you familiar with the, the the Lotus Eaters? 
No, but I, I remember the REM songs from the late 90s with the lyric, I ate the lotus. And that's what it's referring yeah. to. That's either referring to Tennyson's poem uh, from, I think, around 1835, mm-hmm. 40, something like that, called The Lotus Eaters, which is in turn a reference to uh, the, the Lotus Eaters, the island of the Lotus Eaters uh, in okay. the Odyssey. And what, what happens very briefly is um, – Odysseus and his men, at this time they, they have 12 ships, uh, are, are returning from the Trojan War, which has just been won by Odysseus's uh, trick with the wooden horse. Mm-hmm. And they are, they're setting off back home for Ithaca, and they land on this island uh, to, to you know, fill up with water and, and um, you know, get some, some food. Um, and they find these... Um, Locals there, the inhabitants of this this island, um, eat uh, something that Homer refers to as lotus, um, and it's it's not the real lotus that we know of. Just like Homer's Ethiopians are not East Africans, mm-hmm. you know, it's a it's a different it's a, some mythological thing. Um, but Homer's lotus is some kind of a plant or fruit uh, that causes lethargy. It causes you to just mm-hmm. give up. So. I, I, you see what I'm, yeah. what I'm getting at here is um, uh, there, you know, there are a few, this is multivalent or polyvalent. There's, there's various kind of threads here. There's, as you pointed out, the connection to Padme and these do have a kind of Naboo look visually, you know, it's that they really do sort of art nouveau design. Um, mm-hmm. But then there's also the, there's the Buddhist connection, which, you know, the Jedi order is of course full of, of those references um, but then I think most, most significantly here is that Homeric, uh, connection to mm-hmm. the, 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 the kind of drug or plant that causes one to give up. And, and in Tennyson's poem, the Lotus Eaters from the 19th century, he really pulls out that it's, a, it's really a poem about, um, despair, even suicidal despair, just mm-hmm. giving up on life. And that is exactly what we see the lo- the fire Lotus fighters, bringing yeah. to uh to the the people that they are claiming to help yeah yeah the, the, these people like jode they, they just they no longer want anything mm-hmm. they are completely devoid of desire and um as you say sort of you know there, there's a point at the end or near the end when, when jode seems to have committed suicide yeah um you know he, you know and certainly kara thinks that yeah um, we we the reader get to see the look on his face as he dives into the water and i you know i don't think you re- can really read that as right in, in the way kara took the event yes um yeah that's a cleverly but, drawn panel because uh, uh yeah yeah, that's that's quite a quite a roller coaster there because he seems to be giving up the drug, and then he seems mm. to be going in after it, and then he finally yeah. he finally comes back. Um, yeah, yeah, with, with, with our World War Two submersibles. Yes, yes, <laughs> to, to help save the day. Yeah, the uh, the 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 people being hooked on this substance um, really provides a. Uh, a fantastic um, <sighs> backdrop for or, or raison d'etre cause for mm-hmm. for Kara's activity, because she is, as we talked about last episode, 
uh, a, a go, go, go kind of person. She, she never rests. Mm -hmm. And here are people who only rest. They have given up on everything. Yeah. Um, Jen says to her in, in, uh, issue three, um, they won't even help themselves. And Kara comes back with, with one of her, her best lines. Uh, then I have to, she, yeah. Um, she is not willing to let even people who don't want to be helped mm -hmm. be left alone. She she says, yeah. well, if they won't help themselves, it's on me. I'm the only one here. I've yeah. got to do it. I love it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, although she does have these moments, particularly when she's alone, <laughs> yes, where right? she is just like, why is it so hard? Yes, you know, there's, there's, later, there's, there's, a few pages later, she says, yeah. she shouts, you know, in all caps in italic. She says, why do I always mm -hmm. have to do everything alone? And then just this, exactly. This, it's and the most angry we see her. This, this like, burst of, of the force. Yeah, there's a release of force energy, which bursts the crate open. And that's where she discovers the drugs yes. in the crate, you know? Yes. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I I did. I liked that. Let's, let's, yes, let's let's talk about Kara. I mean, I, I liked that nuance to her character here. Mm. That you know, I mean, uh, there's a running theme for me through the Night Errant series, which is that you know, I, I, I generally don't see a lot of character development mm. from Kara. No. You know, she things happen. She goes through things, um, but but I don't often have the sense that she's learning anything. You know, right. her character remains largely unchanged and she remains largely on the same path mm -hmm. throughout. And I, I don't necessarily mean that as a criticism. Um, you know, it, no. it, it may just be that it's kind of, it's a throwback to an old, a more old fashioned kind of hero, you know, huh. maybe the kinds of heroes who inspired George Lucas, mm -hmm. being Flash Gordon or whatever. I mean, here, here she feels like she's Robin Hood in Sith Space. Yes. You know, Robin Hood doesn't change. Huh. Errol Flynn's Robin Hood is just, you know the, the swashbuckling guy who gets the, the no, stuff done. No, no, Sir Galahad you know? doesn't need to grow and improve. He's a, he's, he's yeah. saintly. Like he he has arrived already. He knows his purpose. It is clear, um, and he goes out on the quest, um, and he's successful uh, be, because mm. of that resolve. Uh, so yeah, it's it's a different it's a different kind of it's a different kind of hero. It's a different kind of character. Yeah. Um, and, and yeah, that's, that's no, that's no slight against either her as a protagonist or, or Miller's writing, um, that, that kind of, um, you, you know, Mary Sue sort of character can be a problem, uh, that, that can be done mm. lazily, that can be done poorly, where you have a character who is just perfect. Kara's not perfect. Yeah. And that's why I like these moments in volume two. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Cause we see, um, well, and we've seen, we've seen glimpses of that in volumes one and, and, and well, volume one in the novel as well. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's definitely the strongest here that where the, the temptation to despair drives her to anger. Um, mm. and yeah, so she's not, um, she's not impervious. She's not a, a superhuman, well, I mean, she's a Jedi, yeah. so she is kind of, but, um, but yeah, she has, she has flaws. Um, the story is not about her, um, fixing those flaws. Um, mm -hmm. she doesn't seem to have time for that right now. It's about working yeah. through them. 
It's about setting them aside and getting the job done. Which is why I kind of I would have so loved to see this get a longer run where John Jackson Miller might have then had the luxury of giving us mm. a volume which is and for whatever reason, narratively, she is forced to have some downtime. Yeah, <laughs> you know, you know, in the in the context of maybe say something that rip, say ran for ten volumes, mm-hmm. you know, to have a volume somewhere in the sort of middle to you know before the final act, as it were, you know, where she is forced to sit down and introspect and yeah. just, you know, th- that would have been absolutely fascinating. Because then she you could know? actually, she could actually fix some of these problems or someone mm. could help her fix them. Um, yeah. Or, or even just see them. Cause you know, she's, she's go, go, go all the time to the extent that I don't know if she sees them. She's, she's not really self-reflective right. at, at all because yeah. she has no time. Yeah. What about the Sith? I mean, where, where are they in all of this? I mean, we, we, we've talked a lot about Kara and Zodo, and we've got Damon and Odeon, and, you know, in, in one or two scenes, people like Arcadia and others and sort of floating around in the background. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're very much kind of backdrop to this particular story. Yes. Yeah, this is um, uh, the last, the, the final arc, um, are both more personal stories for um for Kara mm. you know here we're we're on Aquilaris her home world um the the next volume involves her searching for her parents um and of course the Sith play a major role in that that final volume as we'll discuss in a few minutes mm. here but um it, yeah they 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 take a back seat here uh because we've got so much going on with the, the you know the introduction of Zodo um, as, as we mentioned, and then also the, the, the big problem, this, uh, this arc is the deluge, um, which here I mean the drug, but of course, uh, Miller loving his wordplay as he does this, this is another mm-hmm. double entendre here. We've got the deluge, which is the name of this spice that the people are addicted to. But then we've also got the literal deluge on Aquilaris mm-hmm. that is brought about by the, the um, Storm Drivers, I think they're called. Storm Drivers, yes. that's that's the one, Zodos, yeah. Uh, yeah. The, There's sort of almost a, a flood of biblical proportions, yes. really. You know, that they, they are literally heading for the last bit of high ground. Absolutely, you know? yeah. Yeah, we're, we're running out of, running out of uh, up, I think somebody says at one point, something like that. Uh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they... Um, the the Sith uh, re- remain uh, interesting here. The characters have already been introduced to, but um, they they're not um, not doing anything new, really. No, no, they're more around. I guess the very very beginning. Um, I, th- I think very very early on, we see one, one more another one of Damon's wonderful holographic statues welcoming the new day on Aquilaris. Yes. You know. And anytime I yeah. see that stuff it just makes me smile. Oh, the, the he's, moment you know, when he's he's, um, he's delightfully insane. The, the flood is coming through and, and uh, he's he's telling everyone <laughs> that it's it's all fine. If you if, if Yeah, you, I create I created this flood and if I wanted you to be to draw you'd be dead already. So carry on working. Yeah. Uh, for the greater good of you, of your lord, and you see these people shrieking and being swept away. These tiny little little figures in the, in the uh, his, his aide says, "Perhaps it's time to update the message on the holographic statues." Yes. As as my lord knows, 
<laughs> uh, so yeah, the D- Damon's as wonderfully bonkers as ever, and and I guess he he gets um, then his sort of been his revenge at the end um, with Zodo, um, and he he turns a you know we don't see it the panel sort of cuts away as it were, but he basically unleashes one of the a miniaturized version of the storm driver the, that we're led to believe will will dehydrate anything including potentially a hut yeah, yeah um, it's pretty, it's a pretty bad way to go yeah yeah um one thing i did love before we sort of wrap up on volume two i have to say the the physical threat imposed by zodo then towards the end and he has this interesting battle with Kara um, in zero G. He turns off the artificial gravity on the ship and he's flying around with his armor and a Mandalorian jetpack and a battle axe um, fighting this Jedi. And that's something I never thought I'd see. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's like I said, from the moment of his introduction, it's just, it's so gonzo. It's just yeah. off the rails madness I, what i wouldn't give to see something like that done in live action star oh, wars yes. or, uh, um, you know, or even animated in something like like star wars vision this, this is the crazy i'm looking for i think that would be fantastic give something like, like that to me in the dawn of the jedi movie or whatever whatever they're cooking up <laughs> yeah, on that you know yes. you know if, if they're going way way back in the timeline it's a perfect opportunity to just give us some more bonkers i i think um i think even even the folks who didn't much care for the uh, for the book of Boba Fett can all get on board with the uh, the Rancor riding uh, sequence in the big battle at the end. Um, as, oh, as yeah. being, that's that's a real highlight. That's that's lots Absolutely. lots of fun. To say nothing of the wonderful King Kong reference as well. Yes, yes, climb the scales, up. the tower. Yep. You know, that's great. So it's waiting for some biplanes to come along. Uh huh. <laughs> Um, anyway, so um, should we move on then and talk about episode, or volume three, Escape? Yeah, yeah, I think so. All right, so, so timeline-wise, we're, we're still in 1032 BBY. Um, story-wise, we find Kara Holt infiltrating Odeon's death cult by acting on information given to her by Damon. They're, they're cozier than they used to be. Um, so I, I, I don't know if that's an indication. Perhaps that some time has elapsed. How long? It's not clear. Um, she's on the trail of her parents and discovers not only that they survived the attack from Odeon that saw her rescued from Aquilaris as a child and raised as a Jedi, but uh, she also learns that uh, her parents were unwillingly helping Odeon to search for an ancient Sith artifact called the Helm of Aeldis um, that, that seems to have the power to channel others' despair into a destructive and indeed self-destructive power over life. That's right up Odeon's alley. Um, also in the mix are, are Sith Lords Malachite and Damon is back, of course. Uh, the Dowager Vilia is sort of hovering in the background, as always. Uh, plus, we meet artilleryman Beld Yulan, uh, an Odeonite convert and indeed former commanding officer of Brigadier Jarrow Rusher from the Knight Errant novel. Um, so, Escape, headline thoughts then, Alex. What did you think? Man, I love this one. Um, mm. we, uh, we talked a little bit last episode about having been worried, uh, with the, um, the short run that this, uh, this series got comparatively that, uh, yeah. it, it wouldn't stick the landing as far as it goes. Uh, I, I, I will go ahead and go on the record as saying, I think it, it, it did as well as it could have, uh, mm-hmm. given this, this amount of time, um, we, we've talked in yeah. the past about um, 
some of Joss Whedon's work, like Buffy, uh, the Vampire Slayer. Mm-hmm. Um, were you a fan of Angel at all? Did you watch that that series? I did. I came, I came to Angel. I mean, I came to both of them later. Mm. They both finished their runs by the time I kind of had a DVD box set of each yeah. and sort of blitzed them all in. You know, as I usually do with these things, I kind of looked it up online and found the right order to watch everything in. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I um I watched Buffy intermittently when it was when it was on, and then um picked up uh watching angel when it was originally airing uh, around season two now as you know it, mm-hmm. it went five seasons and then was canceled and they they really thought they were going to have a sixth and um uh i i feel very similarly about the ending of that series um yeah and the note that it went out on and the fight goes wrong yeah that is a, that is such an ending isn't it basically it's the apocalypse uh there the, the the you know the not the Scooby Gang from from Buffy, but sort of right. Angel's equivalent Scooby Gang. Yeah. They're in a an alleyway of some sort, sort of in this apocalyptic situation all around them. And there's you can almost look there almost like giants in the yeah, midst and, and demons and all sorts of stuff. Yeah. yeah, the dragon in the sky, you know. And they're they're sort of right. I guess we got to fight this stuff now. Yeah, yeah. I think Angel says something like, "You, you know, you you take the left flank, you take the right." I'm going to take the dragon and that's, that's it. It's been many yeah. years since I've seen it, but you know, re rereading yeah. um, escape uh, this time, this, this arc of, of night errant. Um, I immediately thought of, of that moment um, where, mm-hmm. you know, we don't end on a quite as much a, a, uh, an embattled cliffhanger here. You know, things are, we yeah. have sunny skies, you know, everything looks pretty cheerful, but the last words are, and the fight goes on um yeah so it's it's very much that same kind of sense of uh well you know we've we've won we've won some victories here but the um the work is not done um and that that is what kara is all about that's it isn't it i mean i think that's that's why in a way maybe we're skipping ahead but you know that's why that this feels like a satisfying conclusion yes even though it, even though in some ways it also feels like we've rushed to get there, um, yeah. Because I, I, I get the sense that whatever, however long this ran, that's probably what that's probably what Kara's conclusion would have been. Yes, you know the the, the point of her as a knight errant. I, I don't know if we ever would have or should have got to the point where she sort of settled and sees the work as done. Yeah. Done, you know. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Clearly, that would that would require some growth and change in her character, uh, because mm-hmm. she doesn't know how to stop doing what she does. Um, so yeah. that would be, you know, we we would need we would need an arc to wrap up and show her transitioning to a different kind of life, yeah. a different pace. Uh, that point, yeah, because you know. And that's why, in a sort of in a hypothetical longer run, if we've discussed, you know, I would have loved to have seen that sort of an arc where she gets that time to reflect, yeah. but then go on to to go on to continue choosing this anyway. Yeah. You know that 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 still would work perfectly fine for me. Yeah. Um, so, so some other initial um, thoughts of mine from uh, from this this arc, I guess, backing up a little bit because we've we've talked touched a little bit on the ending there. Um, <laughs> Uh, I like the again. We have a, a very distinct uh, visual feel. Um, Scarpos mm-hmm. and uh, Lord Malachite, the the 
new Sith Lord, although we've seen him hiding hiding out in the background in, in holograms. He's been in hollow meetings and things. Right, but yeah. uh, we're really introduced to him here. And he uh, gives us a very Tales of the Jedi kind of sword and planet vibe. Uh, mm, definitely a, a barbarian sure. uh, chieftain sort of character. Yeah, sort of bearded barbarian yes. wearing furs exactly. usually riding some winged mount of some yes, kind with, with claws and teeth and everything mm-hmm. kind of dinosaur like um so that's fun uh then then we get um mercy or or as i like to call her dark kara um the, mm-hmm. the sort of uh, sort of goth disguise that uh, that kara puts on um which again with the uh, the the miller wordplay uh, did you, you notice Mercy is a, a kind of double entendre? Because uh, Kara's mother's name is Mercia, or Mercia, Mercia, yeah. Mercia however you want to pronounce that. Um, and, uh, and, you know, she's going by Mercy here, so that's a pretty obvious nod to her mother. But it's also, you know, it's it's a nod to her role as a, a, a yeah. um, defender of the weak. Um, so, so that's fun. Um, and then Ieldis or Ieldis and the Crucible, um, that is a reference to uh, Miller's earlier uh, series, Knights of the Old Republic, um, where, you know, L- Lord Ieldis was, was first mentioned in that context uh, as the founder of this organization, the Crucible. And we get some, some uh, references to that there. So, um, Oh, I'd forgotten about that. Yeah. Yeah, the the, the, the slave mm. uh, training yeah. organization, slave uh, sort of slave gladiator groups. pits that um, Jariel rose up out of, and then and her antagonist in the back end of that exactly. series. Yeah, yeah, so we see them. Um, mm. You know that organization no longer exists, but we see references to uh, that Sith Lord's training methods come up here. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's good stuff. Interesting stuff. Um, we've touched on a few of the newer characters there, folk like Malachite. Um, mm-hmm. I thought Beld Yulin w- was interesting, and, and not one that I was expecting. Mm. Um, w- and as soon as I, when I was reading this for the first time last year, I, I was thinking, why is that name familiar? And I, I kind of. I had to look it yeah. up on Wikipedia, and it's like, oh, that's because Brigadier Jarrow Rusher was talking about him all the time. He's yeah. Jarrow Rusher's old mentor right. slash commanding officer. Yeah, it's a little it's a little jarring uh, to to see to see a character introduced visually that you have only mm-hmm. read about. Uh, you know, we didn't know yeah. what he looked like. We didn't have any sort of well. Yeah. I, 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 maybe it's just, maybe I'm just being speciesist, but I had assumed he was human. Same. Uh, I, I, I don't think it was mentioned in Night Errant that he wasn't, no, um, no. In, in the novel that, that he wasn't. I, I don't believe so. Fantastic character though. I really like this guy. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, and we get filled in on his backstory here and we knew from the novel, from Jarrow Rusher's thoughts on him that, um, he had decided to throw in his chips with Odin and join Odin's death cult. Mm-hmm. I, I can't remember if um, the novel fills us in on, on, on the backstory to that, which is that um, Yulan's family were killed and he was bereaved and suicidal, and that's how he came to Odin's death cult, right. uh, as it were. Yeah, he 
he he experienced loss, which led him to despair, and Odian uh, offers as as a kind of um, antidote to despair. It, it's very embrace. Uh, his his mm-hmm. whole philosophy is one of nihilism. Um, yeah, it's and that's that emerges, I think, as the major foreground theme and conflict, not just of this arc, uh, where it it really really gets heightened and resolved, but of of the whole Night mm-hmm. Errant project is the. The, the the dichotomy between and the the conflict between um, despair and nihilism on the one side and hope and life on the other and it's beautiful mm-hmm. yeah yeah the uh, the the little foreshadowing of the uh, the rule of two uh, that uh, Odeon gives us uh, when he's quoting I think from uh, something of, of, of Lord Eldest, the, the maker of this helmet that he wants to get his hands on and then does. Um, I know the true and secret purpose of war. It is not to destroy another force, but to destroy all that lives save one. And that's, mm. that's really, you know, if 30 years later. Um, yeah. That's what we, that's what we see uh, Bane essentially trying to to embrace he doesn't want to he doesn't want to wipe out all life in the galaxy uh but he does want to wipe out all the sith yeah um except the the one to hold power and the one to crave it that that see, that, that is really interesting to me as maybe a thematic connection to the bane stuff and I, again I, I always wonder what a more expanded run of this might have been yeah. That, you know, would it have, in the same way that the Knights of the Old Republic comic series was sort of filling in a little bit of backstory to the Knights of the Old Republic game, mm-hmm. over in a longer run of Night Heron, would we have started to see a trajectory towards sort of where we find the Sith in Darth Bane, in the Darth Bane stories, a couple of, set a couple of decades later? Um, I, and that, to my mind, as you've just said, feels like a really solid thematic link to where we end given up. the given the placement of this story on the timeline and um the state that we see the sith in at this point the constant bickering and backbiting and betrayal and mm. um chaos uh in sith space i, I it, it's it's impossible for me to believe otherwise i, I think that had to have been yeah where this yeah. um where this was headed long term. Absolutely. One of the things we I love about Yulin's character mm. that, that, that sort of where, where this conversation started. Yeah. Um he goes he he really goes on that journey from despair to hope as 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 you said earlier, like I guess his protege in the Night Errant novel. Yeah. Um, he ends up with a bunch of children to ferry to safety in the Republic. You know, yes. um, you know, at the at the end, yes. he, he comes good, as it were. And you know, there, there's a beautiful panel near the end where, you know, these kids are just hanging; these rescued children are just hanging off him, and he says, "I think they think I'm their father." You know, and suddenly he has meaning; he has something to live for. Yes, you know, uh, and the the despair is gone. Yeah. 
Um, his character arc, more than anything else, any other character in uh, the, the whole Night Errant project, the novel, the short story, and the three comics, is what has stood out to me the most. Yeah. Um, I, I'm just going to read a, a couple of little passages of dialogue mm. here from issues four and five. This is from issue four. Really, these are these are highlights of the whole series for me. Uh, Yulin says, uh, so they're talking about uh, Kara's parents. So they didn't really join Odeon, but they thought you were dead. They'd already lost everything. And they sacrificed themselves on the chance that someone else's children would be hurt. They had no one to live for, but they died for everyone else. It hardly makes sense. Mm. And then Kara comes back. It makes perfect sense, Yulin. If death can have meaning, then life must have. Mm. I love that. Um, it's just that they, the yeah. answering of of death and despair uh, and nihilism with, uh, with life and hope. Um, then the, the other bit from uh, issue five, this is the highlight of the whole series for me. Um, uh, Yulin says again, in conversation with, um, with Kara, which um, as, as a, as a Christian, I, I cannot help but notice the, the symbolism of her here in this scene, hanging on a, a kind of cross. It's a, a it's striking, cross. isn't it? I mean, you, yeah. you you can't see that image and not think of uh, sort of a crucifix. Absolutely, yes. Yeah, she's she's um, hanging on this. It's yeah, a that imagery. A uh, it's it's disguised a little bit, I think, cleverly by you know, if it had just been a cross, it would be much too on the nose. It's why yes, it's a, what's called a, a Saint Andrew's cross or a saltire. Uh, according to tradition, Saint Andrew the Apostle was was crucified on this X shaped cross, and so that's on the the flag of of Scotland. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so Yulin says here, as she's, she's suspended on this thing, um, you, you're willing to die to save people you don't even know. She says, I don't want to die. I want to live. I want to save those kids downstairs and everyone's kids, but going out here and now would mean something if it stops Odeon. You said that people were nothing more than droids waiting to be shut off, but you're wrong. Droids can't do anything when they're shut off, but people can accomplish something, even in death. Hmm. People matter, Euland. Your children matter. And he's, he says, and it's, it's, a, it's a great panel, because he's got these totally blank-looking, uh, just dead eyes. They're, they're just white, and his face is half hmm. in shadow, and he just looks just haggard and tired. And he says, but they're dead. And she comes back and responds, they matter. Mm. And that is what this series is all about. Yeah. That's his, that's his turning point. And then, as you said, when all of those thousands of children are freed, He's the first friendly face that they see. And even though he lost his children, mm. he gains a few thousand. He, yeah, yeah. And, and, and uh, ferries them safely back, back to the Republic. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, it's, a, it's a beautiful ending. And, and 
once again, I could, I, I sort of, I do wish I'd been able to see his journey over a slightly longer expanded time frame. Yes. Um, but I, I, I think the the emotional impact of that journey isn't diminished by it being condensed. Maybe it's heightened actually in a yeah. way. Um, yeah. You know. Um, I mean, like I said, it, it, I, I first read this. Um, this arc back when it was published and, and, um, uh, it has, it has, it has stuck with me, uh, for a mm. long time. Um, that, yeah. um, there's a, there's a great bit, um, at the end too, where, uh, he, uh, Yulin says to, um, to Kara that, uh, Wayman, uh, the, the, the servant of Odeon who found her and, uh, you know, rescued her from from apparent suicide when she was undercover mm -hmm. and then took her into the yeah. Odeonet to, to serve. Um, uh, he was called a claimer. These are the people who go in, sneak into the, the Daemonet and uh, find people and claim them for Odeon, for service to his death cult. Yeah. And Yulin says Wayman, again, with Miller and his wordplay, Wayman wasn't the real claimer, Kara Holt. You are. We were as good as dead. I was dead, and you saved me. Um, so th this is pointing to to the idea of claiming something as as both mm -hmm. having a possessive nature, like I'm claiming this. This is mine, my own, my precious. Yeah, and that's what Odian does. He claims people as a kind. He's a, he's a taker. He takes and he uses. Kara is claiming the people that she rescues. Um, not in any sort of possessive way, but as a redeemer and ransomer. Yeah, it's 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 so powerful. I love it. It it, it overall it it is some of the most striking sort of redemptive imagery and messaging that that that, that I that I can recall reading in Star Wars. Yeah. Actually, um, yeah, you know. You know, and, and you know, redemption. Redemption is a theme that runs through Star Wars, obviously, but but it's very often in the context of person falls to dark side, person gets redeemed. This is someone. This is people making sacrifices to redeem other people, right? Um, in a way that's that's sort of much more um, elusive of. Christian theology and, yeah. and, and that sort of thing. Yeah, totally. It's like, uh, you know, Kara is going into Sith space here. It's like uh, the, the, um, the idea of Christ uh, harrowing hell, you know, after he, uh, he died on the cross, he goes uh, down into the grave, into hell um, mm -hmm. and breaks the doors asunder and, and preaches to the captives there. And um, you know, that's, that's like uh, Kara is echoing that kind of, you know, re redemption on that kind of scale. It's it's epic. Yeah, yeah. You know, saving as she says, Absolutely. saving one at a time or thousands at a time. Indeed, we, we sort of we equally has this kind of um, uh, sort of the Great Commission, Acts of the Apostles sort of vibe to yeah. it. You know, the work is not done, and we will go out right. and continue doing right. it. You know, yes, it. Um, yeah again as all the way through this series you know john jackson miller is pulling material and themes and references from all over the place mm -hmm. um but really strongly here i think landing um on the, some very interesting 
messaging around, around redemption. Yeah, yeah, we've got the we've got the the classical um, allusions and and um, uh, you know the Homeric stuff, the Lotus, um, the, the, the medieval knight errant yeah, stuff. Yeah, the, you know and. The, the biblical allusions from from a massive flood to this you know re- right. redemptive right stack. um yeah and and then i i think another another layer in here um the um the whole ethos that kara demonstrates um i think is straight out of of uh jrr tolkien um in his mm-hmm. um his essay that's been called the essay that broke Beowulf studies um, because it, it was published in the early 20th century and, and mm-hmm. um, scholars of old English have, have been basically reacting to and responding to and, and building on that ever since um, this, this essay that Beowulf, the monsters and the critics, he articulates um, this uh, concept that he, he identifies throughout uh, the literature of, northern europe uh including mm. uh the the anglo-saxons the old english as well as the the old norse um that he calls uh northern courage he says uh, this theory of courage was the great contribution of early northern literature and simply put it's it's bravery and perseverance in the face not just of great odds but of inevitable defeat mm. uh it's this yeah. idea that um uh, well, to, to, to quote from his essay, he says, it is the strength of the northern mythological imagination that it faced this problem, put the monsters in the center rather than off to the margins of the action, gave them, the monsters, victory but no honor, and found a potent but terrible solution in naked will and courage. And that's that's what we see here, is... Mm, yeah. um, the the will to keep fighting the will to face evil and death and destruction and chaos and nihilism um with whatever you've got for as long as you can and never give up um it's it's awesome it it really is it really is i'm conscious of the time and we thought before before we started recording this episode <laughs> alex we we thought that uh we'd make short work of these two we'd make shorter work of these two volumes than we did of um volume 1 and, and the novel last time um and I, feel, I still feel like we've barely scratched the surface uh particularly of of this third volume in terms of the, the plot and everything that happens but we should probably try to wrap up in some way, but yeah. I guess before we get to that, what are your overall thoughts about the Night Errant series, um, including any anything that you really want to touch on, <laughs> but we haven't had time you for? You know, I feel like I've pretty much I've pretty much managed to hit all of the all of the high points in in what we have discussed so far. I think. Uh, in in these two episodes, um, yes, there are lots and lots of great plot details and characters, and um, uh, you know more connections to Kara's past, and and that's all that's all really fun stuff. Um, and we could sit here mm-hmm. for another two hours and talk about it. But apart from those, all those details and all that plot. Um, I think the major themes, what this series is all about, what makes it great, what makes it um, both 
an homage to uh, earlier Star Wars uh, and um, and also the, the ways in which it offers something new um, and and um, builds on those those existing strengths in in Star Wars and you know puts puts a new spin on them um, I think we've actually I think I at least for my part uh, I, I think we've covered it pretty well what about you? Yeah, I, I think so. I think so. Um, you know, the, the, there's lots of stuff, particularly in, in that last volume, where we learn more about Kara's family and, and her parents. And um, I, I guess we've seen something similar story beat wise uh, with, with uh, Ezra Bridger in, in more recent right. years in canon in, in, in terms of that sort of the search for parents that goes to a particular place mm-hmm. and, you know, um, but all of that sort of seems kind of by the by as we've been talking about these bigger the, the bigger stuff that's really going on yeah. here. And, uh, the, the the themes and the messaging really is what makes this great. And I, as we said when we started talking about this third volume, I don't know how John Jackson Miller did it, but somehow, despite what is almost certainly a truncated yeah. run, um. There is a very satisfying conclusion here, mm-hmm. and I am more than happy that that conclusion is the adventure continues yeah. and the fight goes on. Yeah, you know, absolutely. Yeah, you know, I um, I actually commented on uh, a post that Miller had made on his Instagram account uh, about a month ago. Uh-huh. Uh huh. I I had been prepping uh, for the um uh podcast the first podcast that we recorded about the 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 volume one of the comics and the, and the novel and i said I, I didn't even know this was the anniversary but i was just you know reading reading through this this morning and uh you know left a little message saying how much i i enjoyed the the series and um i uh i commented um i don't know what unrealized plans there may have been for continuing kara holt's stories or story, but the existing comics and novel always felt like the start of something really grand that deserved more time to grow. Um, and he, uh, Miller, commented um, very quickly and said, uh, mm-hmm. there weren't any specific plans. If it had continued, there would have been more Sith to fight, and I suppose she would have eventually encountered Vilia. So that's that's all that that's all that mm-hmm. is uh, But that was interesting oh. to hear. Um, you know, Little, yeah. little uh, hint of what might have come. Yeah, I mean, I guess two, two, two thoughts immediately on that. One, how wonderful is John Jackson Miller that he seriously engages with folk in that way? You yeah, know, he, he's really yeah. respond. He's really responsive he, he's, um, to fans. He's such a such a gem in his interactions with fans. It's um, lovely to see. Uh, yeah. Um, the other thing is. How robbed I feel. <laughs> yes, <laughs> uh, you know, no, um, because there, there clearly were there, there were there, there was more mileage there, particularly in characters like Vilia uh, and this pantheon of Sith, you know, um, yeah. th- that were sort of being set up um, mm-hmm. in that corner of the galaxy. Uh, and as 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 I've said, you know, to maybe see all of that get unpacked a bit more and start and see sort of plot threads heading towards where we find the Sith in um, 
the Darth Bane stories, you know, set a couple of decades later, mm-hmm. um, would have been really intriguing. Yeah. Um, but what we've got is excellent, and I'm, I'm more than happy with it. And I'm, I can't believe it took me until last year to finally catch up with it. And it's a real gem. Yeah, absolutely. You know? Another real gem of, of this sort of early, early part of the Legends timeline. Mm-hmm. Um, John Jackson Miller knocking it out of the park again. Hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. Don't sleep on this one, folks. Yeah, do not. You know, now's the perfect time. Uh, the novel's been re-released with a very snappy-looking cover. I might add. I love that. I I generally am a sucker for the Essential Legends covers. I know not everybody likes all of them, and some of them. Yeah, I for to my taste, they've been hit or miss. But some of them, man, when they hit, they hit, they hit hard. That's yeah, a, that's a very nice one. Um, and as, as we said earlier, the the comics are available. E- either you can find an old trade paperback on eBay or mm-hmm. wherever you source your nope. hard to get stuff. They're not that expensive, um, but equally, the Marvel Epic Collection is out there. Um, the Old Republic Volume Five. Mm-hmm. That's where you'll find these equally digitally. Um, they are available. Um, get on it. I think that's probably going to do us for, mm-hmm. for uh, another episode of Legends Library. Um, thank you as ever, Alex, for joining me today. It's, it's always a pleasure to chat to you. This has been um, this has been a real joy. Thank you so much for having me. Well, before we go, why don't we let the folk listening uh, know where where they can find you? Sure, um, I am online um, sporadically at uh, Books to Grammaticus on Instagram. Um, I have actually just recently started posting a little more finally. So we'll, we'll see if I can mm-hmm. find time to continue that. It's hard to find the time. <laughs> I, my own, my own <laughs> posting frequency has dropped um, substantially and oh, oh, slowly over last year, I kind of went from a daily post, Ooh, which I hadn't, yeah. I'd, I'd maintained that for about two years. Uh, and last mm. year I went to every other day Um for about six months and then sort of when i guess last summer hit yeah i just it's just sort of dropped off a bit of a cliff you know i'm kind of i'm kind of too awake at the minute and i'm realizing now actually my last post was oh actually almost a week ago now you know it's hard you know it's hard to find the time i get it i totally get it um it's it's very hard to maintain that kind of energy and pace and you know i mean it takes time to to photograph books and and Mm come up with something substantive to say about them and um yeah but yeah. Um, i always always enjoy your posts it's, oh thank uh, you well it, it's yeah. not made any easier when uh, instagram people uh tap you up and say hey can you record a podcast with me you got some time to reread some comics <laughs> <laughs> yes yes there is there is that but you know um, it's all fun it's all fun yeah. instagram podcasts you know good time connecting yeah, with uh, yeah. fellow star wars fans and fellow readers um yeah it, it's it's a wonderful community on there on instagram i love it i love it um, it is if, if you do want to follow my infrequent postings on instagram or, or indeed even less frequent postings on threads um you can find me as at journals of the wills that's journals with an s and wills with an itch and you can reach out to the podcast team on all the usual social media channels and there you're looking for at swbc podcast 
Um, today's podcast marks the end of another packed week on the Star Wars Book Community podcast feed. Next week, you'll have three, maybe four episodes uh, coming up. Um, Comics Roundup will be looking back at February's comic releases. Canon Catchup will be diving into short story collection, Tales from a Galaxy Far, Far Away, Aliens Volume 1. We never did get Aliens Volume 2. Who knows what came of that? Um, and Friday next week is, is International Women's Day, and uh, we'll have a special episode about the women of Star Wars dropping for the occasion. And hopefully, if Chris can squeeze it in, we may have another short review of next week's big release, The High Republic Defy the Storm, which means that I've got to get a move on and finish reading this month's High Republic novel, Escape from Ballo. <laughs> um Anyway, uh, Legends Library will return in two weeks' time. We're going to start getting into the various tales of Darth Bane. We're almost there. But before we dive into any of the comics or novels proper, we're going to take the next episode to look at the passage from 1999's The Phantom Menace novelization that introduced not only a version of Bane, but a slightly different version of Sith history to the one that uh, we've been exploring over the last eight to nine months here on Legends Library. Uh, and rubber stamped by the big man George Lucas himself, uh, if Terry Brooks, the author, <laughs> is, is to be believed. And I'm sure he is to be believed. Um, so in, in the meantime, uh, all that remains is, is for us to say goodbye. So it's uh, a goodbye from Alex Taylor. Goodbye, and may the Force be with you. And it's goodbye from me. Thanks for listening, folks. May the Force be with you, and we'll catch you next time on the Star Wars Book Community podcast. 